The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, a rip-roaring rally on Wall Street. The S&P soaring more than 3%, every sector firmly in the green. The Nasdaq closing above its 50-day moving average for the first time in more than three months. There were a couple of standouts, even in this sea of green. We'll tell you what they were and what the strength means for the market. Plus, Netflix and thrills. Shares soaring after the streaming giant said it lost fewer subscribers than expected. We dive into the numbers with the only analyst to upgrade the stock to a buy since April. And Twitter on the fast track. The social media company getting a big win as it looks to expedite its trial against Elon Musk. But what comes next in this twisting, turning saga? We have some answers for you right here. I'm Courtney Reagan in for Melissa Lee this evening. This is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square. On deck tonight, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Those are your traders. And we're going to start off with Netflix earnings. Shares are soaring. They're back towards levels not seen in three months, higher now by more than 7%. The company losing less than half the subscribers it expected and sees growth returning in the current quarter. Our Julia Borston has the latest. What a report, Julia. Well, Courtney, the second quarter just wasn't as bad as Netflix had feared. Investors are breathing a big sigh of relief. The stock is up now over 7% on the loss of 970,000 subscribers in Q2. That's less than half the 2 million loss projected. Though it is worth noting that expected gains in the third quarter are not as strong as analysts anticipated. Netflix forecasting a million new subs in Q3 rather than the 1.8 million that analysts had been looking for. Now, Netflix attributing its challenges to competition, password sharing, and an economic downturn, warning that it expects the negative impact of foreign exchange headwinds to grow between Q2 and Q3. But Netflix says it's making progress generating revenue from password shares, and it said it's coming ad-supported service. They expect it will drop premium pricing and will evolve over time. Co-CEOs Ted Sarandos and Reed Hastings writing, quote, over time, our hope is to create a better-than-linear TV advertisement model that's more seamless and relevant for consumers. The company also offering some more detail on its recent layoffs, revealing a $70 million severance cost, saying, quote, we've adjusted our cost structure for our current rate of revenue growth. Courtney? Thank you very much, Julie. I know you are going to be busy. Appreciate you following that for us. You know, Guy, I want to start with you. I think the reasons that the company gave for some of their struggles are interesting, including the economic downturn. I don't know. Are you canceling your Netflix subscription when things get tight? I feel like you want to hunger down and watch more. Well, I mean, competition. Welcome, Courtney, by the way. You know, competition was the other one they cited a couple quarters ago, right. and that's clearly coming in spades. You know, both Tim and Dan have been dipping their toe here since the spring, and they're, they're getting rewarded for it now. 
And I understand why the stock is rallying just on the headline of better than expected subscriber losses. I mean, it's a crazy thing to say, but that's what we're seeing. But that third quarter guide, and I'm sure Michael Pactor will have some views on this, it's not good at all. 214 is below the low end of the range that I was looking for. They lowered guidance in terms of uh, revenue as well. And their oper operating margins in this quarter weren't great. So what does it mean? It means for the first time in a while, uh, Netflix has been interesting on valuation. That's still true. Short's probably covering. That's probably true. I think people are excited about the Microsoft relationship. But I don't think it has a lot more room here. Maybe 225 and then I think you sell it again. Hmm. Okay, Dan, what do you think? Right now we're sitting right about 216 for Netflix. It wasn't as bad as it certainly could have been there. Yeah, so I think they did a good job getting that whisper out as far as subs that were expected to be uh, lost. But if you really put forward, I guess, what they said for Q3 subs, um, it probably evens itself uh, out. I think the stock is obviously pretty pressed down here. The fact that it's not down, you know, like a lot, it was down 35% after last quarter's miss, 25% after the quarter before that. I think it really speaks to the fact that the company knows what the challenges are in front of them. They want to monetize about 100 million households with this new ad-supported model, and we're going to start getting more and more of how they're going to do that over the next, let's say, two quarters before the launch in early 2023. So to Guy's point, I think the valuation for the first time in a very long time looks attractive. The competition is here. And, you know, that was a pillar of the bear case for a very long time. But I just think it looks I, I want to make a bet on Reed Hastings, you know, down 75 <laughs> percent from the recent highs. I think that's probably played out on numerous occasions over the last 20, 25 years where it's uh, worked out pretty well. Tim, what do you make of the comments about the ad-supported tier being a 2023 event? Think it should be sooner? Does 2023 feel about right for you? What does that do for your projections for the company and how they're going to add some more revenue to this model? Well, Courtney, I think it's smart or I think it's appropriate that they're talking in very measured terms about the impact of the ad-supporting business. They're going to go to the uh, certainly the most interesting and, and productive ad uh, you know, revenue markets, but um, and, and that they're not expecting a whole lot. They're certainly trying to keep expectations lower. And this is a company that didn't feel the need to have an ad model, at least at, didn't talk about it, wasn't part of the business model six months ago or at least a year ago. And so uh, but I actually think that they're probably driving very hard aggressively internally. I don't. Why would you go slow on this? Why? Why, in fact, when in, and I think ultimately across streaming, we've seen this in a lot of other platforms that an ad supported model is very productive. And, and let's be clear, this may be where it's all going back to. We sat for years watching an ad supported model in linear TV. And, and I know the world has changed, but there's no question that there are people that are willing uh, to, to you know, be and subscribe to this type of a model. So I think they're going cautious here. I think listening to a business that also is downsizing expenses and, and certainly right-sizing some of their growth relative to where they are here makes a lot of sense. It's just it's amazing where this company is perceived uh, in, in, in three different in three quarters, essentially. Or if you took us to where we were a year ago going into that period, of uh, the Jan downgrade, the, the April downgrade. And now here where we are, guy talked about it. it's hard to get terribly excited when they're talking about losing uh, a little less than one million shares and we're doing cartwheels. This was the first <laughs> two consecutive quarters of negative subgroup in this country's in this in this company's history. So I think those are the things that are worth focusing on. But yes, I am long. And yes, I do think in terms of valuation, it's very easy to own this company here. It's still one of the dominant streaming players in a world where isn't that still a tailwind? I think it is. 
Karen, I want to bring you in here. You know, I do think it's interesting that they're talking about sort of right-sizing their cost structure as the business does get a little tougher, even if this quarter maybe was not as bad as it could have been. Do you feel like their balance sheet is in a good position for where they're sitting right now and as they're looking for new ways to find growth or unlock value? Well, they, they say they're going to be free cash flow positive, so that's good. For a long time, the balance sheet was a question here. But it's interesting that this company has now shifted from you know, infinite growth to now really nuts and bolts kind of different focus on the operations. So as Tim talked about the advertising supported model, they're also talking about, you know, the getting uh, members who are other families on the same membership or other households getting that. That's important. And I think that, you know, they talk about streamlining their costs. That's important as well. They didn't used to have to focus on this. All why they still have to focus on content and there's a lot of competitors out there so they do have some hits they always have some hits stranger things turning out to be a huge hit all that having been said i don't know that the maybe the bottom is in for the stock i'm not sure if the bottom is in for the momentum here but at this price i think that um, it's pretty well discounted a lot of the things that can go wrong and i know it's a competitive environment but they still are absolutely in the pole position so i don't own it here um, I, it's, it's definitely something I would look at. I think also the, the reopening trade part of it has already played through as people thought, all right, we don't need to binge anymore. We're going to go out and do things. So I think that a lot of the bad news is out and the valuation reflects a lot of bad news. So it's interesting here. Hmm. Well, our next guest is a longtime Netflix bear turned bull who called the recent rally in the stock. Let's bring in Wedbush Securities' Michael Pachter. He's a managing director at the firm and covers the entertainment and the software space. Michael, thanks for joining us here today. Got some of uh, your notes here about what you you make of the quarter, but I guess just to start off, overall, anything here that you've heard that is going to lead you to change your thesis coming out with the new recommendations either later tonight or tomorrow? Oh, I, I won't change. I, I'm not allowed to preview what, what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to change my thesis. Um, the only negative I heard in here is that they seem committed to continue to dump all episodes at once. And I had hoped that they would you know, learn from splitting up the season of Stranger Things and start releasing content kind of sequentially weekly like everybody else does. That's an anti-churn tactic, and I thought they'd do that. Michael, the Microsoft... Um relationship is interesting. They could have gone a number of different ways. They went Microsoft. I don't think the market's making a big enough deal. I don't think it's, you know, for the next couple months. But long term, is that interesting to you? You know, I have to be be honest. I didn't even know Microsoft was in ad, ad tech. And, and of course they are. Um, where I think it gets interesting is that Microsoft mm-hmm. is committed to streaming to any device, streaming games. And I could see them bundling Netflix in with Game Pass. They're at 25 million subscribers now, and I can see Microsoft getting to 100 million subscribers. Uh, They signed a deal with Samsung for smart TVs. So it's a natural. And I think once they're in partnership with Netflix, that really makes sense. So I think that partnership could work out for both parties. Michael, when you get to a point when you're looking at subscribers and we're still talking about losses here, I mean, how do you know when you've sort of hit this this market saturation? It's always actually surprised me when they've still been able to pull subscribers from mature networks with all the password sharing. So I guess sort of just bundled all together, where will potentially new subscribers come from and does it come from breaking apart family password sharing? When does that, kind of, when does that happen? Well, dummy me, I thought they peaked at 25 million domestic. So, you know, they're only at 75 million. Um, they're, they're close to saturation. And, and I actually think their approach on password sharing is intelligent. 
They're talking about a small upcharge for additional households using the same password. That's kind of what Spotify does. It's like, it's kind of an unlimited family membership. Um, T-Mobile, I, I subscribe. It's $25 for each additional line. They don't care where the people live. So I think there's a way to kind of squeeze price without really offending anybody. And I think that's really what's going to happen. But yes, we're saturated in the U.S. I mean, they might grow another five or 10. The real way to get there is to offer a lower price tier, and that's ad support. Michael, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. I have a question. It's not so much about Netflix. It's more your, about your history with this stock. And you were, you know, the lone sort of uh, bearish guy out there, well, well below the market. And finally, finally, that came around and you did seem to sort of pick near the bottom, if not the bottom, who knows. But did you ever sort of lose your resolve? Did you ever think maybe I'm really wrong here? Or how did you just stick to that the market's got it wrong? I, I told everybody I ever spoke to that they would etch on my tombstone that he was right about Netflix. So no, never lost my result. Um, if you read my November 30th, 2011 downgrade note, everything I said that would happen happened. It just took eight years before it really happened. And I expected Disney to compete sooner. So honestly, uh, I thought you'd have competitive streaming services in 2012. And I was wrong. And so I, I stuck with it. I probably could have upgraded for a few years and then flipped back, but I'm stubborn and stupid. <laughs> I don't know about that, Michael. We do appreciate you being here with us. It's a very interesting aim to talk through as these quarters have been quite interesting. Let's go ahead and trade this one. Dan, <laughs> I want to give you the last word on Netflix for this moment. Yeah, listen, I've known Michael Pactor for a long time, and I think his work has been very thoughtful, and I think it's really easy to kind of you know tag him with the guy, the lone bear for that long. But if you read his notes over all the years, you took out some really good fundamental tidbits about this stock. So he has not been shorted. He's been just trying to lay out what the bear case is. Listen, I bought this stock about a month ago. I bought about a quarter position. I was kind of hoping, and I've been saying this on Fast Money, that we'd have one more kind of big downgrade to that subscriber guidance and show some metrics. Listen, we saw them. You guys just detailed them. It's not a great quarter here. I think it's just a bit of a relief rally. So I'm kind of in guys camp. I think that that gap level in the last quarter in April near 250, I'd be really shocked if it gets over there anytime soon. And I'd expect the stock maybe to give up some of these gains. There was nothing that great in there other than it wasn't a disaster. But I am bullish long term taking a multi year view here. I do think they're going to get this ad supported model correct. All right, well, coming up, delay denied. New developments in the Elon Musk Twitter drama. The trial over the $44 billion deal on the horizon. The details ahead. But first, stocks rallying hard in today's session, and one group saw some outsized gains. We'll break down the action when Fast Money returns. We're back in two. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Rally mode on on Wall Street today. Take a look at these across the board gains. The Dow soaring nearly 750 points, closing near session highs. The S&P 500 jumping more than 2.5%. The Nasdaq adding more than 3% to close back above its 50-day moving average for the first time since early April. Only one sector really outperforming this market. Semis, more than 4.5% today. And they've beaten the S&P handily since the start of July. So what does the broad strength today say? about the state of the market. Tim, what do you make of this move? Well, I, I, I make that the, the SMH move is, is pretty extraordinary on a relative basis to the S&P. So it's outperformed the S&P by 10 percent uh, in, in really the last 10 days. And if you the market back to that June 17 low, uh, this has really been a story of semiconductors. I think over the last three or four, you've got an 8 percent move in semiconductors. It's a combination of, of getting the boost from the lower rate environment. It's a combination of at least getting reinforcement from uh, a couple of the semiconductors. Remember, we got some great numbers out of Samsung. We got some very solid numbers out of Taiwan. Semi. We know the cyclicality in the space. We're worried about inventories. We've priced in a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of those dynamics. But um, this is you know, a, a, a chart we want to see continue to outperform if we want the market to outperform. So uh, I think the SMH and the semis uh, are the, the chart to follow for this market. But this was a, a broad rally today. And some of it is just lower dollar, lower commodity prices, uh, better reopening dynamics. And, and look, we saw that across the board. Karen, what do you think of that? I think that's an interesting thesis from Tim. This is one to watch if you want the broader market to rally. Do you think this is telling us a little bit more about the broader state of things? Should we be more positive than sometimes it feels like we we are on most days, not today withstanding? Well, today feels to me like more of a sentiment shift, and I don't okay. know that the underlying business has changed much today. When you think about that enormous outperformance that Tim talked about, it was on the heels of enormous underperformance. And some of those names, I think, of are, are still pretty expensive. You know, it used to be semis traded with somewhat of a cyclical P.E. multiple over the life of the cycle. And that the idea of the cycle now seems to be lost. So some of these P.E. multiples still seem pretty high to me. So I wouldn't short the sector, but I also feel like, you know, this is kind of a really nice bounce. I don't I don't want to chase it. All right. Uh, Guy, what do you make of the semi space right now? Would you be looking more at the SMH or individual semi names if you think that there's more room to run? I mean, four and a half percent in one day is quite impressive. I'm not sure we can put that on back to back days right now. Not maybe in this market. No, but there's still some names that valuation wise are extraordinarily reasonable. Qualcomm right now is trading at 12 times next year's numbers, despite the move to the upside that that stock's had. They report on July 26. I think you stay long there. And, you know, I think Tim's right to point out it's been since June 15th 
coincidentally, the day that the Fed had their last uh, hurrah meeting. And by the way, that was also the day that 10-year yields, I think, traded up to almost 3.48%. So I don't think it's coincidental. I'm sure the other guys and gals would agree that since yields have come down, you've seen this subsequent move and commensurate move to the upside in semis. I think that can continue since that day, June 15th, you know, I've thought correctly, incorrectly, now it looks maybe correctly, the S&P would trade up to 4,100. I'm going to stand by that, but I think if and when it gets there, I think that next leg lower is going to be coming very, very quickly. Okay. Uh, Dan, what do you make of the move in the Russell 2000 up 3.5% today? The small cap's getting some steam there. You think there's more room to run there? Is that just a, a dollar sort of play as the dollar strengthens stay domestic? No, I think it's kind of tied to what these guys are saying also about the semi-move here. If you're thinking that there's been a shift in sentiment as it relates to the economy, and I could kept hearing in the OT about the great pivot, then you're going to want to go to some of these more early cycle plays, small caps here in the U.S., some chip makers, that sort of thing. And, you know, I'll just say this about the chips. Like, the sentiment got really bad. I mean, we were talking about double order, and we were talking about disrupted um, supply chains. You know, it's kind of interesting that this CHIPS Act that's going to be voted on in the Senate and then likely to make its way to the house, the one that Paul Pelosi had some nifty trading in and around the <laughs> options market with, um, you know, it could have been a kind of buy the rumor, sell the news sort of thing once we get a little bit more over the course of this week, if that is passed to me. So again, you know, I just think it's important to remember that, you know, uh, just because we're green, just because we have a rip roaring day is a beautiful day in the stock market. If you're long stocks, I mean, there was basically everything was up here, um, but that doesn't change the backdrop the economic backdrop that's been so challenging that's not likely to change on a dime either. Markets can change on a dime, you know, on a near-term basis, but I don't think we're all done here. So to me, I think you want to be careful chasing something like, let's say, the Sox that's outperformed the S&P. You know, at some point, it's going to be 2x the gains off the bottom. <laughs> We've got a lot more fast to come. Here's what's coming up next. Twitter's speedy trial hopes getting the thumbs up from the courts. So what's next for the $44 billion deal? The details next. Plus, we're flying into some airline options. United set to report earnings after the bell tomorrow. And that has investors boarding the trade. How they're playing this one ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter shares gaining nearly 3% after a Delaware judge granted the company's motion for an expedited trial against Elon Musk. Musk is trying to walk away from his $44 billion deal to buy Twitter and was looking to delay the trial. Karen, put on your uh, attorney hat. What do you think happens from here? <laughs> I think that not a ton happens to the stock from here. I actually sold a straddle, which would Dan, uh, be a Dan trade, um, the, because I think the stock won't move that much either way because we won't really see any fireworks until the October trial. But I, I mean, maybe there's a chance of settlement. That is possible. I just don't think it happens in the near term. I think Musk will want to sort of try his hand at trial before he hopefully gets religion, because I do think the Musk side has the weaker argument by far, and the judge wasn't really having any of it today. So it was clearly a win for t Twitter. It wasn't the September date they hoped for. I think I may have said uh, September. It's uh, an October date, but it was a lot closer to what Twitter wanted than to the sort of ridiculous, uh, I don't know, um, treasure hunt for some uh, <laughs> piece of information that I don't think they're ever going to find by the Musk team. So for right now, I think the fireworks will die down. Fair enough. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster. He's the managing partner at Loop Ventures. Gene, what do you make of what's going on right now? I guess you can take it whatever way you want. You can be an attorney and try to figure out the outcome. But I guess in the end, we really want you to help us play the stock. What does it mean for Twitter? If I'm a shareholder, am I holding on tight, hoping that the court makes Elon buy for 44 billion bucks? I think you should let go of that hope immediately mm. and start to play the game that Elon is not going to settle. That's not in his vocabulary. I agree with Karen. He's going to see this through to the trial in October. And to answer your question, Courtney, what do invest? What should investors do? This is not investment advice, but a prediction. Is I think that this goes to court, and ultimately Elon is going to pay probably four or five billion dollars. A convenient number would be four billion. He gives up his ten percent. He gives a billion dollars uh, uh, back as part of the deal. Uh, that is a win for Twitter. That would uh, basically get the stock into the mid 40s from here. And I think if you put it into perspective, is that a 10% move with all these fireworks around here probably isn't great uh, risk reward, but I think that there is a biased uh, higher here, uh, just given that I think that the, the evidence here or that the, the, I think the outcome here is probably stacked as of today in Twitter's favor. Gene, it's Tim. A sentiment in the stock, which is where I think you've been discussing around. You've certainly been out there on the right side of the negative sentiment over the last few weeks. But, you know, stock's up 20 percent off of those lows uh, four or five days ago. It's had it's had a major bounce back. But here they are coming out with earnings on Friday. Um, what do you expect there? Is there anything on the fundamentals here um, that gives you reason to think, again, a reset here, which has been to almost nothing um, could surprise I think the fundamentals are probably going to be ugly. I think that's part of the reason why Twitter has been pushing hard for moving to an expedited trial is that they're going to be able to stand and say, look at the damage that's been done to the business. I think uh, so. The headlines here, I think, coming on the report are going to be negative. I do uh, uh, put some uh, a glimmer or, or some confidence that even through all that negativity, I think investors have been through so much here that they're going to be able to look through to what is the core to Twitter. That's 200 million daily active users. If you look at the value per DAU relative to Meta, and they're down a lot too, 
but it's trading at almost a 60% discount relative to that. And so I would say, Tim, is that it's going to be a mess when they report and they guide. They're going to blame it on Elon, but I think investors will largely look through it. Hmm. That is really fascinating uh, for how we all we, we play this. I mean, what do you think that this says for Twitter going forward? Did it shake them fundamentally at all in the way that they're looking through things? It does seem like they're trying to clean things up as as it pertains to bots, perhaps maybe not to Elon's uh, up to par with what he really thinks is appropriate. But maybe it's shaken something, some good in the company for their fundamental standing. I think once all of this clears up, I think this has been a shot of adrenaline for the company to ultimately be more aggressive at monetizing. I think Elon, for that period where he actually did want to do this, there's a few weeks there where he was talking with the company and giving some ideas about monetization. I think that that did uh, spark some good conversations. And ultimately, I think they're going to find ways it comes back to the value that investors are placing on each of those daily users. And so, Courtney, I think that there, are, there, there will be some good that will come out of this. But I want to caution, I don't want to send a mixed message here. I think in the near term on this earnings report, it's going to be a mess because uh, I think that uh, those people, those uh, employees that are implementing those change in those products, I think are their minds are on something totally different. They're thinking, do they need to get another job? Uh, They're Mm. obviously following everything that's going on. It's not a productive time at Twitter. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of people involved in the crosshairs of this. Stay with us right here, if you would, for a second, Gene. I want to bring in some of the traders. Dan, I know Karen kind of gave you a nod when she was discussing uh, the position that she took today. This is fast money. This may not end up to be ultimately the deal that Twitter had hoped to make. But is there a trade to be made here? Yeah, no, I suspect Karen's selling vol against her long stock position. She called this really well. She bought calls, um, I think, when the stock was in the low 30s playing for this very move. Now that you got the kind of announcement, there might not be a whole heck of a lot of news. That being said, you know, Gene just said he doesn't think there's a chance that Elon settles. Let's see where Tesla's stock is after this report and what that means for his ability to close on a deal if he is actually, um, you know, ruled in that court in Delaware in October that he has to because it sounds like a lot of the participants who are going to kind of supply some of the equity and the debt are not that interested in doing it. The company is not worth what he's trying to pay for that. And that would be a basically 50% bump from where the stock is right now, a $30 billion market cap. He does own 9%, as Gene said. I just don't think... I just don't think it's particularly interesting. I don't think he's going to close on it. I don't think the stock's worth the enterprise value of, you know, in and around $30 billion where it is right now. Okay, fair enough, Dan. You mentioned Tesla. So let's talk about that. The other company on Musk's mind, by the way, Tesla reports earnings after the bell tomorrow. And the chart master says the electric automaker is sitting on a knife's edge heading into the report. So let's bring in Carter Worth of Worth Charting with the technical tail. Carter, take it away. Well, that's right. I mean, you can feel the tension. It's it's uh, the definition is a nice edge. It's sitting finely balanced between success and failure. We have this tight, tight range. You see it annotated there on the screen. Every chart we're going to look at is the same chart over different time frames. So basically, if you take it back a little further, we've been I would call this um, high uh, volatility, low variance. We're not moving anywhere, but we're stuck with these wild gyrations of 20 percent between essentially 600 and 800. If you pull it back even further, you'll see basically where this debate or standoff is occurring. It's occurring under the trend line, having broken trends. So again, it's near perfect equilibrium, bears and bulls balanced evenly. And of course, we know exactly what's going to resolve it, as is so often the case. The funny methods, they're going to say something in their earnings that people generally hate 
or like enough to move it substantially higher or lower. Highly unlikely that it stays range bound like this. Now it's now, is it a coin toss? It's as close to that as you're gonna get. We've put out reports saying that we think it's gonna break to the downside, but I'll just tell you this, of some 2000 respondents, both at the institutional level, the individual level and on Twitter, it's running 60, 40, uh, hmm. that it will go down 40% are saying no, it's gonna get resolved up. Hmm. Really interesting stuff there. That is quite a tight range looking at those different uh, time periods. Thanks, Carter. Guy, where do you stand on where Tesla's going to go from here? Are you in the 60 camp, the 40 camp? Before I say that, I'm sure Karen will get a kick out of this. Clearly, Carter um, coming to us from the Guggenheim at the Kandinsky exhibition. <laughs> Wonderful job by Carter, number one. Number two, uh, you know, I'm with Carter on this. Listen, last quarter, that April quarter was astonishing, and the stock traded up to, I think, 1100 obviously only to sell off to low 600s, and here we are now. I think you're going to see a similar move. I think the stock probably bounces post-earnings, but you sell it again. And I don't, think, um, I don't think we've heard the last of former President Trump's rants about Elon Musk, and I think they're going to get more uh, directed and may come more at him in terms of Tesla the stock. So I think there are a lot of chapters left in this Tesla story, and I'm going to be having my popcorn on the sideline. But I think... <laughs> Higher post earnings, lower after, just like last quarter. Hmm. Gene, you're still with us, Gene Munster. I think that uh, you believe that there is a long-term story here for the bulls, right? What do you make of Tesla? Well, the first step is uh, remove religious conversation. This is a religion. And I try to be judicious at not falling into uh, thinking this is too good or too bad of a company. I just look at uh, what I see as the facts. The facts are that uh, the auto industry is a two and a half trillion dollar market and that Tesla is one of the few companies that are leaders there and they have outsized demand for their products. And I want to just quickly put some of the demand into perspective is that in the June quarter, they reported 27 percent delivery growth down from 67 percent in the March quarter, disappointing deceleration. When you adjust for Shanghai, the growth would have been similar to what it was in March. It would have been 68%, so call it unchanged. The reason why growth is high, despite the fact that it's getting more expensive to buy a car, more expensive to take loans out on a car, is that people want their cars. And so I don't know if the stock is gonna be up or down after they report, but I do uh, know that demand for their products outpaces their ability to produce them. And when I compare the 200 and call it 60,000 vehicles that Tesla produced globally to the 7,000, this is apples and oranges, but the GM sold electric vehicles that GM sold in the US in the June quarter, it is such a wide gap. It makes me believe that this company will find its way uh, to a much higher valuation. And just to finish the thought where this ultimately goes, Again, not investment advice, but I think this is a $2,500 stock over the next five years. I think that ultimately it's going to be more than just electric cars. I believe that their solar business is going to get moving. I also think that they can do other things, whether it's related to insurance or uh, related to HVAC systems. There's, uh, I think the robot is a dream. That's not going to play into the model. Optimus Prime, but no other car company has all of those optionality on the table. And I think that's what makes this uh, company a unique investment opportunity. That and its founder, of course, as well. Gene, thank you very much. The stock thank is you. sitting at 736, so 2,500 will be quite a run from here in five years, but we'll see if we can do it. We'll see you back tomorrow after the report. Tim, what's your take on Tesla? Gene says he's not going to make a call on whether the stock is up or down after the report, but you can get out your crystal ball. 
Well, I'll speak to Tesla the religion, and and so in other words, the sentiment and the cult-like status, I believe, is is what we're referencing here. Stocks significantly underperformed uh, the higher beta part of the market that's rallied over the last couple of weeks, and even uh, off of Memorial Day, you've actually had the Nasdaq outperforming the S and P by about five percent. Um, is is that a change in character? Not necessarily. But for a stock, again, on the religion side, that moved 160% on two events, uh, essentially in calendar 2020, which were the S&P inclusion and where a stock split. Um, just, you know, what are those next moments? I, I look at the fundamentals. I look at a 60 PE. Uh, I just don't think stocks are trading at those uh, those premiums or will be. And I think there's still some you know, ratcheting down of that to go. I also just look at competition in Asia from Hyundai, from, you know, from, from Kia, from, you know, some of the big uh, conglomerates and that part of the world where I do think EV continues to move forward. So this was always a competitive story. Uh, and right now, I actually think that the competition has closed the gap. That, that was the story two years ago and Tesla outperformed. But uh, the religion is something to pay close attention to because I think it's tough to get that kind of a following in this market. Fair enough. You know, we're going to keep talking about this one. Coming up, though, we are flying nonstop into some airline options. United results on deck. So we're jumping into the options pits to see how the traders are playing this one. Those details are next. And there were some real standout stocks, even in today's big market rally. The names catching our traders' eyes, those are ahead. You're watching Fast Money. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out United leading the airline rally today as travel stocks rip higher. The company reports earnings after the bell tomorrow. And one options trader is betting the stock could be about to gain even more altitude. Mike Coe joins us now with the action. Mike, help us make some money. Hi, Courtney. Yeah, so we saw calls out trading puts by about four to one on 1.8 times the average daily call volume in United today. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about six and a half percent by the end of the week. That's in line with the amount that it has moved over the last eight quarters. The trade that caught my eye was a purchase of a thousand of the September 50 calls. The buyer paid about a buck oh seven for those. The buyer is obviously betting that United will benefit from the earnings and could see the highs that we saw as recently as April. All right. Thank you very much, Mike Coe. Let's trade this one. Guy, what do you think of United ahead of results or after results yeah, or during results? Well, Heck, I don't know. You pick the time frame. No, I will. But I, I think <laughs> if you like United, I think the fact that Delta traded down to that 30 level, which is where we bounced from, I think, around early March, that's the place to be. I think Tim would agree as well. Delta, to me, is the best run airline they just sort of finalized some plane orders. I think their balance sheet's probably the best in the group. So I think if you think United's going to have that kind of move, the commensurate stock to be in, the commensurate move is going to take place in Delta. So I like what Mike is saying. I think you play it through DAL. All right, fair enough. I just want all these airlines to reunite passengers with their bags. Have you seen all those? My sister-in-law and father-in-law still missing bags 26 days onward. Come on, help us out, guys. Anyway, you don't want to miss tomorrow's show. United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby is going to join Fast Money 5 p.m. Eastern to discuss his company's earnings report. And for more options action, be sure to tune into the full options action show. That's Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, we're hitting some of today's biggest movers, Boeing, Nike, and legacy automakers, all beating the broad market. We'll break down that action next, so don't go anywhere. More Fast Money is back in two.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a trader's choice of some of today's biggest winners. Shares of Boeing taking flight up more than five and a half percent after the aerospace giant announced several new deals for plane orders at the Farnborough Air Show in the UK. Nike also jumping higher today. The stock up five percent, now positive over the last month as retail outperforms the broader market. Finally, legacy automakers hitting the gas. Ford surging five percent after announcing its latest pickup truck a day earlier. The F-150 Raptor and GM also revealing its newest vehicle on Monday, the electric Chevy Blazer and finishing the day up almost five and a half percent. So Trader's Choice, Guy, which one of these names are you looking at? Love this game. Letter F, Ford, traded down to the levels we saw May of 2021, seemingly held, bouncing now. July 27th, they report Valuation is ridiculously low, although that's not a sole reason to own it. It's still at levels we haven't seen in quite some time. And I think in the earnings uh, next week, the stock will continue to rally. So letter F for me, Courtney. All right. Karen, how about you? You want to play four or do you want to pick at one of the other ones? I'm going to follow up letter F with letter GM. So pretty much for the same reason that Guy said, I think, you know, very cheap stock. We'll see next Tuesday. They report the day before Ford. And, you know, I think it'll be a question of not so much how much uh, revenues are, but how much is it uh, that they weren't able to fulfill demand because of supply chain or are they having any improvement there? So just in terms of cheap, why it's up five and a half percent today, I don't think there's any great reason other than, you know, everything was up. Got it. Okay, Dan, how about you? What you playing? Yeah, I'll take a look at Nike here. And for the same reason as Karen, I don't know why it was up five and a half percent today. Maybe it's just because everything else was up. But this one's kind of interesting. You know, the stock has come in, I think, at its lows just last week. It was down, you know, nearly 45 percent from those highs made late last year. The multiple compression has been pretty dramatic here. You know, expected earnings and sales growth, you know, up a little bit in the current year, but trading like 27 times. This one looks really interesting to me. So this is on my buy list. I was really hoping to get it before. I don't buy stocks on days like today, but holding that $100 level makes a lot of sense to me. I like Nike here. Okay, fair enough. Nike's a little over 109 right now, so above that $100 level. Tim, what about you? What name you want to play from that list? And by the way, can you imagine if, if we combined uh, would you rather with the trader's <laughs> choice? We'd be blowing minds here on Fast Money, <laughs> so I won't do time. that. I'll go straight to Boeing. Yeah, I'll go straight to Boeing. Um, and, and I'll say a, a 36% move in 23 sessions. It's nice as this trader uh, to get some good with what's been a lot of bad. I, I, I think um, the Farnborough driver in terms of orders is, is significant. We already had gotten uh, positive June orders and deliveries. We'd gotten fair amount of uh, good guidance on 737 max and possibly uh, certification. But I think the free cash flow story is part of why Boeing is moving higher. And this has, again, been a massive move. Uh, it's still in a downtrend and probably not to 165 do you break that downtrend. But second half free cash flow really starts to become something. And, and if you listen to Cowan, this is 20 bucks a share in free cash flow by 24. And that was the reason you owned Boeing three years ago. Let's see where we get to. Yeah, that one month chart on Boeing is pretty impressive. I know you guys like games around here. You have a Plinko board hiding around here somewhere. That's like everybody's <laughs> favorite, right? We got to learn how to play that one together. Well, coming up, is crypto winner thawing out? Big comebacks in Bitcoin and Ethereum this month. So can the tokens keep surging? We'll discuss when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is on his new set at the New York Stock Exchange. He's talking with the CEO of IBM after yesterday's earnings report. You're going to catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. So stick around for that. Meantime, check out the big moves in crypto today. Bitcoin surging to its highest level since mid-July. Ethereum also posting gains. It's now up more than 50 percent just this month. Dan, you still own Ether. Does it go higher from here? Help us make sense of this market that drives me crazy. Yeah, full disclosure, I think I said it on the show numerous times in May. I started buying Ether when it was 2100. I started uh, like averaging down all the way down to 867. How about that? So here we are. We have this move in a very short period of time. I think a lot of crypto traders really focused on this move from proof of work to proof of stake that should get tested next month and maybe finally merge. That has been the catalyst for ETH for a long time here. I think I would probably look to take some profits in and around 2000 again due to my average, but you know these catalysts are there it's a momentum thing it's clearly risk on i mean that's just what we've been talking about this whole show i suspect at some point not so distant future this thing runs out of steam though and consolidates a little bit karen what do you think is this going to lose some steam or are we at the beginning of a new uptrend I, I kind of agree. I mean, the bounce has been really, you know, quite impressive, although the downtrend was even more impressive in its swiftness and the magnitude. But I think that, you know, I don't know if if any of this crypto bottom is that there was this, uh, the over leverage in the system was flushed out or if there's the idea, wow, if inflation might be coming down, could the Fed actually put on the brakes, tap on the brakes? And that would be something that crypto enthusiasts would love if the Fed were to step back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, either way, Ether was up, what, seven, three quarters percent here today, Bitcoin up higher too. So we'll continue to follow that, get some more advice on that very volatile market. But up next, your final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get a check on some of the stocks moving after hours. Netflix, of course, jumping after losing fewer subscribers than expected in the second quarter. J.B. Hunt trading lower despite posting a beat on the top and bottom lines. And Interactive Brokers missing on earnings and revenues as trading volumes fell in the quarter. That stock is down after hours by more than a percent. Tim, any final thoughts here on Netflix? This is going to be a big talker tomorrow during the trading day. Yeah, and we've gone through a, a lot of the fundamentals. Let me talk about the stock for a second. It traded up through the 420 low or the 419 low when they announced uh, their first quarter numbers. Trade down to 211, uh, closed at 226. You're back into that range here. And I think, you know, you hold the bottom end of this range. It's very constructive from a technical standpoint for the stock. All right, got it. Well, it is time for the final trade. So let's go around the horn. And Tim, we'll just start with you again. Take it away. What's your final trade? Why not? So airlines are actually going to report. Delta has already reported. I think they're best of breed. I think airlines uh, are trading not only with a recession, but as if the front of the bus has not returned and European flight, uh, I believe, is up 37 percent year over year. So uh, we're getting better trends and I think they continue. Interesting. Karen, what about you? Final trade. Yeah, so I don't like buying things up 4 or 5% on not great reasons, but <laughs> Mattel is one that I would buy here. On the heels of Hasbro earnings today, Mattel traded up and along with the market, as I think you know, Enon Kreis, who's in for a couple of years, has done a fantastic job. And they did with the Disney Princess franchise, so uh, it's a cheap stock and a great management team, and they've done a great job. So, Mattel. I'm excited to see that Barbie movie whenever it does come out. Dan, how about you? 
<laughs> yeah, so we mentioned Nike here, and you know that May or that 2020 breakout level and you know 105 and 100 ish is really important support. So that's one I want to start nipping at a little bit, but I wanted to really hold that level. Oh, fair enough. And Guy, round us out. What's your final trade? Go check Carter out. The Guggenheim Qualcomm, I think, will continue to rally in the <laughs> earnings, Courtney. All right. Well, thank you all for watching Fast Money here tonight. Mad Money with Jim Cramer. It starts right now on his new set at the New York Stock Exchange. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.